Here at Just Baseball, we have teamed up with BetMGM for the 2023 MLB season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use code JUSTBASEBALL, and you will get up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Step number one, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. Step number two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Step number three, you will receive up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer, 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in Washington, D.C., Mississippi, Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, Washington, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. Call 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. Call 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Call 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,000 first bet offer today. thought about this walker texas ranger we got walker bueller we can talk a little bit about the texas rangers at the back half of the episode but what i do want to hit is a couple of uh call-ups with jack and aram on the just baseball show presented by bet mgm uh use code jb fans or just baseball on bet mgm to bet with the king of sportsbooks monday may 29th we're going to talk sliders uh and we're going to talk what Walker Bueller's workload could look like when he comes back uh, with Walker Bueller. But before that, Royce Lewis, Mike Soroka, Ben Joyce. This week's going to be really interesting for debuts, huh? Or yeah, I guess re-entries. Yeah, some re-entries, some debuts. Um, ben Joyce is the most like head-scratching one, so I'm excited to kind of unpack that really quickly. Uh, but I'm I'm really excited for Royce Lewis. I want I want to start with like the the best. Honestly, and Mike Soroka. It's two like good feel good type yeah. stories here with Lewis and Soroka, two extremely talented players who you know should be well on their way to being established big leaguers at this point, but are not. And you know as a result, you know we haven't really been able to see these guys consistently perform at the big league level. So. I'll start with Lewis because I think the Twins, and it's interesting, the Twins need Royce Lewis pretty bad, and the Braves need Mike Soroka pretty badly. I'd say the Braves are doing just fine for themselves, but they could use that pitching depth. I'll start with Lewis. He looks all the way back to, to Royce Lewis again. You know, and that that the only thing that I'm interested in is like how is the speed gonna look? Is yeah. he gonna be that that plus plus runner that he was before? But the thing is, is even if the wheels are closer to average, which I don't think will be the case, he tore his ACL a couple of times. Like he's not 
an NFL running back. He can still be very quick. He's 20. He's going to be 24. But the power that he has now, how much better he is bat to ball wise, he's dynamic. He can play third, short, second, and they kind of need someone to play third. Royce Lewis could be the shot in the arm that the Twins need right now. And he was fantastic over his last few AAA games. Yeah, so 10 games between AA and AAA, eight of the 10 came in AAA St. Paul, but in 10 games, he was 13 for 39. If you want to do division, he was hitting 333. He OPSed over 1,000, two doubles, four homers, 11 ribbies in 10 games. That will play, but... What you're talking about here, like, is the knee ravaged? Is he a shell of his former self? He was four for five in the stolen base department. So he clearly came out in that rehab assignment to try and test it. And he's passing those tests on his knee. Which is fantastic news. And and I think it's a little telling that Royce played some third base in this rehab. He played shortstop and third. And he might plug in at short from time to time. But I think he's going to play mostly third. And he's going to play a great third. And I don't. I think one of the most underrated aspects of Lewis's game is his power, and we were just starting to see it last year before he went down. Yeah. And last year was a fluky injury. I know he's been injury plagued, but like he was in center field trying to make a play on a ball similar to Jazz Chisholm, and just landed funky when he hit the wall. And you know, I don't think we have to worry about that as much. Knock on wood with him at third base. This Twins offense has not been great or not as good as we would expect it to be. And Lewis adds speed, adds power, and adds a good glove at third. This is, I think this is going to be really good for the Twins. Yeah. How about uh, Soroka? Because you look at Mike Soroka and you can simply look at the game log, right? This guy hasn't thrown in a big league game since August 3rd, 2020 against the Mets. When, remember, he came off the mound to try and field a little infield squibber and he ruptured his Achilles. Since then, like it's been setback after setback after setback. What kind of pitcher are the Atlanta Braves getting? Are they getting the guy from 19? I think they're getting a different one. Probably a different one, but I will say the last few starts of of Mike Soroka's AAA stint here, he's looked more and more like that Mike Soroka that kind of took baseball by storm. Was it in 2019, you know, where he really was that that young up-and-coming arm? And it's crazy, he's still 25. Right. Last start against the Durham Bulls, and we, we always talk about the call-up, on the call of how good the Durham Bulls are in terms of AAA lineups, six innings, two hits, one run, three walks, eight Ks. Eight Ks is the most we've seen from him in a long time. We haven't seen eight Ks from Mike Soroka since he went down to high A on a rehab start for the Rome Braves against Greensboro, which he was just, you know, it was child's play for him, even, even being hurt at that point. Yeah. So this is encouraging. And, and I think that the, the million dollar question is what you just asked. What do they get? But Jack, if I told you you're getting 70% of Mike Soroka and that let's say that's a that's a four starter. Let's say they get a four or a five starter here. I think that's all they really need. They just need bodies. Like Dylan Dodd right now is not a five starter. Right now he's a triple A arm. Soroka looks like he could be a five starter or maybe a little bit better than that. And yeah. if that's the baseline, I think you take that. Well, Dodd doesn't look like a five starter in Major League Baseball and Jared Schuster doesn't really look like a five starter in major league baseball either. He's put together some starts where mm-hmm. it looks like he can be a serviceable starting pitcher in major league baseball, but like that's not him every night. So what you're getting from Soroka is an immediate bump from the tandem of Dodd and Schuster. I understand Dodd and Schuster are both left-handed and Soroka's right-handed. Doesn't matter to me. They need starts. This offense is good enough regardless of who's on the hill and how Snit plays the matchups. Like Mike Soroka in that rotation, regardless of what he is, is a positive, as long as he's not just out there as a sacrificial lamb. 
which I don't think he'll be. And and that's the really cool thing. So I'm excited to see how he does. I, I want to talk to Walker about Soroka too, because I think they can relate on a level of like, just extended period of being out what it's like to get back. And, you know, I wonder if he's been following at all, you know, just kind of seeing sure him work is. back because I know it's a totally different injury, but equally just frustrating and, and just you know, how long, how much time you're going to miss is, is pretty absurd. So wouldn't it just be an awesome story? Even if Mike Soroka can just be like a four, a four, two guy, uh, you know, a four, two ERA guy, you're, that's fantastic news. If Mike Soroka gives them a hundred innings and he still like has plenty of time to give them a hundred innings. I mean, you're such a happy camper dude. If he gives you yep. 80 innings, I think the Braves fans are over the moon with what Mike Soroka can do for them in 2023, especially how 21 and 22 looked last one. Ben Joyce yeah. head scratcher for me. Like Neto was aggressive, but I loved it. Joyce what I think the common baseball fan knows about Ben Joyce is when he was at Tennessee, he was hitting 105 consistently. Like it was 102 to 104. He grabbed a 105.5 in college. What I don't think a lot of baseball fans, you know, really know about Ben Joyce this year, he had a great start to his professional career last year. But do you remember when Rocket City lost a game, allowed seven runs and no hit their opponent? This oh, year. Yeah, he, he played a big part in that. He played a very big part in that. Ben Joyce, I think he's walking seven and a half guys per nine right now. Like he can't find the strike zone with 105. He is not the best version of Ben Joyce. And they're calling up the C version of Ben Joyce. So there's a few interesting aspects of this because you, you hit the nail on the head. And then he's using those pre-tacked balls. This, is, this ain't the Delaware River mud. This no. is tax baseballs. Some guys that's resulted in more hit by pitches. So maybe, maybe he'll feel better with the big league ball. We'll find out. It's really funny to me, Jack, because I feel like Perry Manassian has been checking the box score every single day, waiting for Ben Joyce to just have a few good start, uh, a few good appearances and say, fuck it, let's call him up. Because I'm looking right now and it was Walk City. And we talked about it, you know, on the call up earlier this year. But over the last like four or five outings, it's clicked for him a little bit. That's not enough for me to say, okay, let's bump this guy up from double to a big league bullpen where the zone, like we talk about this a lot. And and I'm sorry if I like rehash it too many times for our like, like religious listeners here, but the biggest change in strike zone is to triple a triple a is, is pretty close to the big league strike zone, relatively speaking, because double a is a different piece. Like you're getting horrible calls there for pitchers. It's pretty beneficial. I'd like to see a guy like Ben Joyce throw some innings in triple because of the zone and because of the baseball. Perry Manassian doesn't care. I love the aggressiveness. I love the desperation, but this is going to be an interesting ride. He'll be fun to watch. I can say that. And if it clicks for him, though, their bullpen gets that much more formidable. He averages 100 miles an hour with his fastball. Averages. But I don't know if five outings of limited walks is enough for me to say, oh, this guy's got it. And not to mention, his slider's not that good. It's right. really just a 101-mile-an-hour fastball. We'll see. I- I'm very interested to see how he fares. I hope he does well because he's fun and he's electric. For sure. Only other thing, and like, of course, I'm going to paint the doomsday scenario. Only other thing before we get to Bueller is, like, if it does hit a doomsday scenario, if he comes up and walks the world or gets hit hard, I don't think he gets hit hard. I think, like... The only guy that beat Ben Joyce is Ben Joyce. Um, But again, going back to this for the billionth time, 
if he has a problem adjusting from baseball to baseball, and it seems like Yuri Perez really hasn't, um, mm-hmm. but it, we'll talk about him after Bueller. But if Joyce does have a problem, do you option him or is he just up here? Like personally, I feel like Neto's just up here. Neto's yeah. not down. Well, because Neto's going to give you decent D. If he's your nine hitter, you're you're not right. you're not worried about it. He's not going to be a liability, and he is their nine hitter right now. If Joyce is a liability, is he a Salt Lake B or is he just here? Yeah, he's a Salt Lake B. Okay, that's the craziest part. So, like, look, I'm sure Joyce is amps. Like, it's it works for him, but it, it's a roll of the dice, and I, I think he has the mentality for it though. Like, this isn't a guy that you're going to like stunt his growth, and um, I'll be tuning in for Ben Joyce's first start because it's for either sure. going to be one two three see ya or it's going to be a roller coaster and you know what if that's your sixth inning guy eh, it's not the worst thing in the world with the concerns that we're laying out i can almost guarantee you it's going to be one two three see ya. guaranteed guaranteed it, it not he won't throw one ball no not, no not it, just because we're talking about this like painting the worst case scenario mm-hmm. he's going to be fucking awesome so yeah that's the deal uh without further ado walker bueller Walker Bueller talking sliders. He's also talking a September 1 return date that he set. Also, how about a, a possible World Series matchup, right? And, you know, obviously we got to play the game where, you know, each division is wide open. Each league is wide open, right? Like you've got Atlanta in the National League. You've got a couple other teams getting hot. The Mets are getting hot aside from what happened in Colorado. And then in the American League, too, you've got a bunch of teams that are playing really well. But Dodgers Rays was a really exciting weekend set to watch. So we want to grill you here. But first, you got to walk us through what we're drinking, man. You're excited for this showcase, huh? What's going on? Rubbing All your right, hair. so yeah. <laughs> the first few weeks of this, right, we've done, like, some pretty good stuff. I won't lie to you. I've brought you guys really good stuff, um, stuff that anyone listening, like, if you want kind of what bourbon should be like, it's probably, you know, the first four that we got. This is kind of a pretty cool example of something different, right? So this is called Ancient Age. This is an $11 fifth, $18 handle. So I would like for you guys to give it a go. Yep, I've got it. So what I will tell you is essentially this ancient age, $11, is the same uh, mash bill. So it's made out of the same things as this, which is Bland's, which is one of the best in the world. So what you have here is one is very young, one is very old. And so it's kind of cool to see um, the difference in what happens with this stuff. Essentially, bourbon goes in as moonshine and then comes out as this dark stuff, right? So even in three years, this went in looking like moonshine. Then in 10 years or 12 years, whatever it is, it comes out darker. Okay. So what you're going to see here, it's going to be a little, a little rougher, a little rougher around the edges, but... Um, it is kind of a cool um, way to learn how the how bourbon's actually made and, and why um, all these pappies and things like that that are aged 15, 20 years are so sought after and um, kind of hard to find and things like that. That's the expression I was looking for. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We took a sip for those that are listening, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's different. I don't, I don't know how to describe yeah. it. So, the question I would have is, is the big difference in price, just the aging of it mostly? Like, think, just like it, think about it. If you had a, if you had one of these barrels in your house, right? Just one, how much would you charge someone to keep it in your house for 12 years? <laughs> it's fair. Right. right. 
Right. So they're, you know, all these distilleries have to build these giant warehouses and they have to be pretty, not temperature controlled, but they have to be somewhat temperature controlled. And, you know, they store 10, 20,000 barrels at a time for 10, 15 years. Right. So that, that's why these aged bourbons are so much more expensive. And, and I mean, you can see the difference in, in why it's so much easier to drink these nice ones, right. Or these older ones, but what goes in there is pretty, pretty much the same. So also like in terms of availability, you know, I, mm-hmm. I've never sought this out. Mm-hmm. I think understandably so after my first taste of it, I'm right. sorry, but um, <laughs> I mean, how available is this? Right. Cause like, I think I, you could probably go get this at any Rite Aid in the country okay. <laughs> That's, or CVS or whatever. It. Right. Because they yeah. can, we can, they can turn it around every three years. They put that in the thing, it waits three years and then it's ready to go compared to 10 years or 15 years where it's really hard to get this stuff. You know what this is? I, I'm not sure if you ever did it at Vandy, but like this feels like the Bartons of bourbon. Yeah. Okay. We were, we drank Evan Williams. We drank, I used to drink Kentucky gentlemen, but I will tell you in terms of like putting something with Sprite, right. If you're going to mix bourbon, like there's no need to go get a nice bottle of anything and mix it. Like yeah. just get whatever you can and you'll be fine. It, it's interesting. Cause it's like harsher, but it's also like, a little sweeter at the same yeah, time. Well, you like, can I, I, you can taste like the the same notes, right? Like Bland's is traditionally kind of known as like a vanilla y bourbon. Like it's in there. It's just not in there quite as fully as the other one. It's yeah, it kind of like goes. <laughs> I'm kind of mad at you for showing us so many nice things and then giving us this. Yeah, you, you should have eased <laughs> us up into better stuff. He gave us like the, the, the fire right away and then just we we're like, talking sliders. I threw a breaking ball. It is what it is. <laughs> I see what you did there. All right, we're going to do sliders at the end, and we, we've had a great time doing those. We did a bat breakdowns, and then we did a fastball breakdown last week. Uh, we're going to do sliders at the tail end of this conversation here. But first, you know, th- there were some written pieces, and, you know, we saw SNLA talking about the, the set date that you have that you're targeting is September mm-hmm. 1. Um, I guess just kind of like a status report on where you're at and what checkpoints you want to hit kind of like by each date if you have those. Yeah, I mean, as of as of right now, the first bullpen should be around June 20th, somewhere in there. Uh, that September 1 is a pretty ambitious date. Uh, you know, I would say second Tommy John coming back in 12 months in a week is pretty ambitious. But I, I think that was kind of interesting just because it was perceived as a set thing or something that if I'm not back by September 1, I'm not coming back kind of thing. Right. Like, that's my goal. And and listen, I don't have, want to have any arrogance in this, but the the reason I think that a lot of us succeed or get to play in the major leagues as long as I have been fortunate to do it is because, like, I can set goals like that and, and expect them of myself. And, um, you know, if I'm not back September 1, like, it's no sweat off my back, to be honest with you, but I want to be back September 1. So, okay. you know, it's kind of one of those goals that I tell myself and everyone can tell me it's impossible, whatever, until it's not, then, then it's not. And I'm going to be back. So, uh, you know, we'll see. Yeah. So the, the one follow-up I have on that is like, there's this interesting balance of, you know, wanting to, to push yourself and, and get better and stronger as fast as you can without also pushing it too far and, mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe undoing some of that recovery that you've already been able to do. How do you tow that line? Because I, I imagine that's got to be hard. You got to probably rein yourself in a little bit sometimes because I'm sure you're so eager to push it, push it, push it. How, um, how do you balance that? 
that's why we have agents. Like yeah. I'm gonna push <laughs> until uh, until you know the cows come. I don't care. Like I'm gonna try and go and go as good as I can, and um, then I have to have guys like my agents tell me that I'm being an idiot, and that's kind of the the push and pull of this game, right? And um, you know, listen, I've been with the Dodgers for this would have been my sixth year. I love being in LA. I want to win in LA as much as possible. And um, I'm trying to enjoy and be a part of every game I can be there. Right. So, you know, missing 140 games sucks and I, and I don't like it. So I want to be back. I want to wear the uniform. And, but I guess the agent side of the game tells you that I want to wear the uniform for another five, six, eight, ten 10 years. So um, it's kind of that weird balancing act. And, and I wish I had a, a better answer for you, but it really yeah. is. It's kind of our, everyone that supports me and my wife and my family and my agents and the organization and whatever, you have to find a way to make really good decisions yeah. for everyone. And, and I think there's always kind of one of those, there's always a, a middle ground that probably works out better for everyone. And that's the thing, like your entire support circle, A, would love to see you pitch in the 2023 World Series, but B, also wants to see a bust in Cooperstown with you wearing a Dodger hat, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, obviously that's, that's a lofty goal, but like right. everybody wants what's best for you. Yes. In the short term for sure. But like also in the long term, you know what I mean? So right. I, I'm sure you're dealing with that. Um, Arm, I know wants to bring up another guy that's, you know, spent a lot of time away from the field and is working his way back this week. But man, I mean, let me just say that would be badass if you were back <laughs> this September. Cause you know, we talk about Harper like this, you had the surgery, what third week of August last mm -hmm. year, that'd be 12 months. Mm -hmm. and a week, yeah. Come on. Well, I, you know, my first one, I, I think it was 370 days. I think my first one was so, um, you know, I, I've done it before. You know, I don't know. And, and when you it, come back, I'm I guess sorry, the, go flip ahead. Side, the flip side of it too is like, you can come back from the surgery and be really healthy, but, you know, we saw, we've seen it with guys come back and they come back in the middle of the year and they're just not really the same guy, but then the next year they're back. Right. Like I also don't, I'm not going to come back and not be, um, not be in a position where I feel like I can really contribute. And I think that's one of the biggest things I, I don't, I in no way think the Dodgers would do this, but I, I don't want to come back and they just put me on the roster because of what I used to do. You know, I want to, I want to be able to contribute and be, um, you know, valuable. It makes sense. And, and from the proponent of like getting stretched out and, and that whole approach as well, like it, it's one of those things where how many, like what, what's the process of like getting yourself to the point where you can now throw three, four or five innings. Cause you know, a lot of people always like to float the idea of like, Oh, he can come in and contribute in, in smaller spurts. But you know, I know that you are interested in being able to go four five, six innings right. when you come back. Is there any difference there in the timeline of like, I could come back and go a couple innings, which, you know, I know you, you want to start. So like, how does that work in terms of, of your timeline as well? Yeah. I mean, I think the state of baseball kind of helps me in that respect too. Right. And that there is openers, there's, there is guys that start and throw two, yeah. three, four innings. And um, you know, if that's the, if that's the role that I need to be in, then, then we look at it and see if I'm ready to be in that role. Right. If I'm good yeah. enough to do that. The, I guess the difference in my first and second surgery is that I've played enough in the major leagues that I know, like, I, I guess it's the, the hitters aren't going to necessarily tell me and my rehab starts and things like that. It, 
I'm going to know if my stuff is going to work. Yeah. Right. So like, if it's not, then I, then I think I'm doing a disservice to everyone. But if I feel like it is, and I feel like I can keep pushing, then we start looking at talking to the doctors and the rehab people and figuring out what's feasible, what's intelligent. That, that is the one thing that the Los Angeles Dodgers probably do better than anyone is like, we continuously kind of make really intelligent decisions and go get the right guys off the, you know, get the right free agents, get this, that get that. Like we make good decisions. And I don't think how we handle my arm or, or me coming back is going to be any exception to that rule. For sure. Um, Dodgers were just in Tampa this past weekend. That was as weird and fun of a series as like we've had in major league baseball right now. I, I don't know. It's almost like you watch those three games and then you, you know, like scoot back in your seat and you're like, what just happened here? What were your overall takeaways from that weekend? Yeah. Today was a, today was a wild game for sure. I watched a lot of that game and I don't know. There's something, there's something about that dome and that park. And I I don't know, man. And, you know, we, we kind of saw it in the world series in 20, right. Where they, mix and match and pieces and parts and um that's just kind of how they operate and um you know we don't do it exactly like that but we do a little bit of that too right so things just got kind of wacky and weird down there in tampa and and i think that's kind of par for the course when we play them man i i had kershaw and glass now circled on my calendar as soon as i saw that that was the probable pitching matchup. What did you see from Clayton against the best offense in baseball at this point? I was looking on Saturday night. Texas was the second best team OPS in the league at 793. Tampa was 845. Like that is so far and away the best offense in baseball. What did you see from Kershaw on that one? And then what did you see from Glass now in his first game back? Yeah, I mean, both of them obviously, you know, pretty established guys in, in the league. And, you know, I think that Tampa offense is weird because they kind of, they attack you in a lot of different ways. It, it's very odd. I saw something. It's been since like 1955 that a team has led the league in homers and stolen bases, and, and they lead the league in both right now, which is just very weird. Um, you know, they do a really good job of finding guys that can OPS, it, meaning not everyone's hitting 300, not everyone's hitting homers, but they have a lot of guys that are OPSing. And, um, you know, we have a, we have a, a lot of guys like that. Uh, Max Muncy is probably our greatest example of, the non-batting average OPS guy. Um, mm-hmm. They have a lot of guys that just take really good at bats. And and with Clayton, if you're undisciplined, he's going to run through you. And and if you're disciplined, you might have a chance. And, and you know, they're a disciplined team. And so, um, you know, our offense kept us in that game and, and won it for us at the end. But, you know, you see it in all three games. They just take really good at bats. They, they know where they're trying to hit the ball, where they're trying to hit it hard you know, the zones they're looking in and, and then they're disciplined in, in taking certain pitches. So, uh, yeah, pretty cool. Pretty cool series. When you're watching these games, cause we talked about it a little bit in the, in the other episodes about like, you know, how you're playing this role almost as like a fan and how that's been fun for you. But I, I have to imagine now you talk about September as the target, like you're hoping to pitch this year. How much are you watching and saying like, kind of almost gathering some information now as you're watching some of these teams that you know you're going to face maybe the Rays that might not be till the World Series but you know, some of the inter division games some of the games against teams that you know you're going to see when you when you come back how do you how do you balance that that side of things because there is that angle of right. like just being a fan and tweeting and having fun with the Yeezys right. but also it's like you're watching how your teammates are attacking these guys and hopefully you'll be attacking these guys this right. year too 
Yeah, I, I think for me, it's a little bit less so just where I'm not on the mound. It's hard for me to say, like, oh, I can do X, Y, and Z. Um, I, I think I'm still kind of in fan mode. I, I think once there's a catcher down and I'm trying to throw certain pitches and stuff like that, I can get a little bit yeah, more yeah. back into it. But, um, no, it is, it's interesting. And, and, you know, it's been a long time since I've gotten to watch this much baseball, not from a side view, not in the, you know, in the dugout. So, yeah. Um, it's interesting. And, and I think it's going to go, you know, leads into kind of what we're talking about at the end of this with the sliders and stuff and all the new stuff that people are doing, how prevalent certain pitches have become. And um, that's kind of been the biggest takeaway is how many guys are doing um, kind of certain things, right? It's almost like more guys are doing the same thing over and over. And uh, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Last thing on this Dodgers Rays series Sunday was like the perfect example of a great lineup picking up a rough start from a young starter, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, they, they jump ahead early. That game was just nuts on Sunday morning, but this offense, like, I I don't want to have you set a ceiling on the offense, but can they be the best offense in the national league? Obviously, you know, you point to Atlanta and say they're awesome and they're deep. You gotta look at Dodgers like this too. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I think, we have a pretty cool uh, mix. Atlanta is extremely deep, and obviously their top couple guys are really, really, really talented. Um, I think we're kind of situated in between Atlanta and San Diego where our, we think our big three are as good as anyone, and we're pretty deep. Where Atlanta is extremely deep, and San Diego seemingly right now is really, really top-heavy, but their top three guys are unbelievable as well, top four, whoever, however you want to rank it, right? But with – Mookie, Freddie, Will Smith, the way he's playing, it's, and Muncie, it's really hard to say that anybody has more talent. Uh, J.D. Martinez, obviously, since he's gotten back from the DL, has, um, has been unbelievable. So, uh, you know, we, have, we just have a lot of players and, and a lot of really good, talented guys. And when, when we put at-bats together on guys, it's pretty, we're pretty difficult to navigate. So, yeah, yeah I think it's pretty, pretty easy to dream on the, the fact that we could be the best – offense in the national league and, and even the big leagues, I think. Um, but we'll see. I mean, it's a long season and you go on runs and obviously I guess Tampa right now is on that kind of run where they're offensively all clicking. I mean, the, the craziest thing I've seen is like seven of their guys are like OPSing 200 points over than their career average. Like it, you know, you'll see a guy or two every year on a team have a great year. Right. But to have seven guys having the best year of their career, um, uh, not to take any credit away from that. It's just hard to see that like sustaining, but also it's, it's incredible that they, they accomplished that even yeah. for two months, right? Like it's, it's such a weird, it, it's kind of so um, abnormal that it's hard to like say if it's great or if it's scary or awesome or, you know, you don't know. It's just classic Rays, I feel like, too. It's like if, if you told me before the year, what's the one team that's going to have seven guys have OPS 200 points above their, their career average? I think I would have said Rays yeah. one and then maybe Dodgers two, but it's impossible to say Dodgers because right. I mean, Freddie Freeman's OPSing 1100. So right. the last question I have for you is you talk about the Rays kind of exceeding expectations, even though expectations are perpetually pretty high for them. And, and I know you're watching more baseball than ever before we dive into, you know, breaking, do, breaking down some of these arsenals. What's a team that's maybe stood out to you a little bit more than you would have expected? Like, is there a team out there that now that you're watching, you know, a lot more on television and you, you watch from a different angle, as we've talked about in the past, is there a team that stood out to you? That's just like, wow, 
they can play a little bit better than I thought they would this year, and that might be on your radar a bit more. Yeah, I'll give you two for two different reasons. I think Arizona is doing a good job uh, putting together kind of a core there. I think, you know, a few years ago they went and signed Bumgarner and Grinky. They had done these things trying to make some splashes and um, didn't quite work the way they wanted to, and and I think they kind of pivoted and um, obviously are drafting well. They they probably – they're, they're drafting like a very certain kind of player yeah. and it seems to be working out for them. And, you know, they're signing these guys and, um, you know, they're just playing good baseball. And obviously Gallon has kind of become a different level than he was maybe two or three years ago. Um, so I think they're, they're doing a good job over there. I don't know if their record is going to reflect it and in, in all of that stuff as 162, 162 goes by, but yeah. um, I think they're doing a really good job there. And then Texas, I think it's really interesting in Texas because offensively they've kind of had the same pieces and parts last year and this year. But offensively, it seemingly is coming coming together now, which is really weird because they went out and signed all this pitching, but now the offense is doing really well. So um, obviously with DeGrom Hurd and kind of on the mend, I guess, and and watching Evaldi has been really, really cool, especially, you know, he's probably the, the prototype now for a guy with two Tommy Johns and and a guy that reached out to me when I got surgery again. So, oh, that's so cool. Um, you know, somehow rooting for him, even though he's on a different team. But um, no, it's it. Those are probably the two that I think are probably. I, I don't want to say overachieving because that's not that's not the phrase. It that are, you know, doing things well and and kind of you can make sense of what they're doing. Also, Baltimore is playing really well. I, I don't know. I think a lot of people thought they were a year or two away, and, and I don't think anyone um, – I think everyone thinks they're doing a good job, right? Like they got Rutschman, and they've got these young players that are playing really well, but I, I don't think anyone thought it would be happening this quickly. Right, I, Jack, I love that he mentioned the, the Rangers because we were just talking about how we're going to talk about them on the outro because it's like they're doing this without DeGrom, and, and the right. team just looks like it's coming together. Nathaniel Lowe comes out and says – we're the team to beat in the division, which is, you know, I, I love that energy. It's well, fun. they're they're paying six starters right now, right? Really paying six starting pitchers was there something that you just don't really normally do, and so it, it's just it's wild to me that they're doing that, and then their offense is the thing that's kind of carrying them. If you don't have Degrom, you know, it's hard to say that your staff is carrying you. Yeah, that's hundred percent. We are going to go over DeGrom here in a moment because he has, you know, one of these sliders that jumps out among most. Um, This is the point of the programming that's probably best ingested via YouTube. And we've got some great feedback on the the plate appearances, like over the course of it at bat, you know, how guys are going about striking dudes out. Um, We also got some good feedback on four seamers as well. So we're going to jump into sliders now, and we're going to kind of do the same thing. I've got Kershaw, DeGrom, Otani and Dylan Cease to end yep. this. And we're going to start with your guy, Kershaw. I yep. guess first and foremost, like what makes Clayton Kershaw's slider so special? Um, I think first of all, it's the spin, right? So it's hard to, you know, show you without having played catch with him or hitting against him, right? But the the spin is so similar to his fastball. And, and then I think secondarily, it's the command, right? If you look at all of these, they're always going to be on his glove side unless he doesn't want them to be. Uh, he he really, really locates his heater on the center third and especially inner third down. And he's just pretty relentless with it, right? He, he kind of, if you can't hit it, 
then that's all you're going to get and you're not going to hit it. And it's very late. Um, it's also, it's got this certain shape that I think his arm slot will tell your eyes that the ball's not going to be able to do what it does. So people talk about late movement. And I always think that's so fascinating because you, you can see it and you can see the effectiveness mm-hmm. of it. But how is that something that you can control as a pitcher? Is it something or is it just kind of a natural effect that you have on the baseball that you, you can't really control? Like, I think it's so wild. Like, how do you make the ball break later? Yeah, I mean, everyone thinks velocity is this huge proponent, and, and it is, right? Velocity is important. Of course. But the efficiency of the throw and and kind of the force that he creates, right? Clayton's a big man, and he's – Yes, he used to throw 96, 97, and now it's 93. But he still is creating a lot of force. And mm-hmm. um, I don't really know how to explain it, but he can force the ball further towards the zone before it has to start moving. And he also yeah. spins it well. It, the numbers won't say that, but the spin. It's like the spin efficiency. Yeah, and just it's like the the way his hand works is the way it's supposed to happen. I, I don't know how else to to say that it's like he does it cleaner than most people. Yeah. yeah. We're going to roll it from this start on Saturday. This is Isak Paredes, who, again, you're mentioning it's always glove side and that heater plays well, what low and into righty bats. Yeah. We've also got one against Wander Franco here and, yeah. and kind of that's more the prototype one there. The got second. you. So we're going to the Franco one again. And this is so this one, the, the first hand. one was, was the first one first. Like, what was the count on the first one? First one was 1 0. So he's trying to throw a strike. Yeah. Then the second one is 2-2, two, two, and he's trying to throw a ball. And what are they? Strike ball, right? Like, he doesn't – that doesn't not happen very often, right? He knows where it's going. He's very comfortable with the shape of it most of the time. He's talked publicly on SNLA about um, where he wants it velocity-wise and why it's super important. And And I think – the big thing for him is when it's 85, 86, it's just not quite as late. He can make it bigger. Um, but the how late it is is the biggest thing for him. And, um, you know, he, he just has different feel than most people. So is the goal on that 1-0 because, you know, it starts kind of middle-ish and then dives to the bottom of the zone. But like you said, it's, it, it's a strike, and that's the goal there. Is the goal also to make that look like a fastball as long as possible? It, that's not the goal. It, no. That's not the goal. That is what happens, right? This ball spins okay. exactly like his fastball and looks like it about 55 feet. So when does it stop looking like his heater? Right here, I guess? Yeah, the moment you see firing. that little turn. And that's the, the term but tunneling, it, basically, right? That's where yeah. that, that, yeah. And he, he does it as good as anyone in the major leagues. Got you. All right, so jumping to DeGrom here. I mean, this guy has one of the higher speed sliders that we've got in baseball, mm-hmm. right? And I've got one that works glove side against Glaber Torres and a righty righty. And then he's seeing a lefty and he's going back door. You want to start with the righty righty? Yeah. I mean, both of them are good examples, right? Because the ability to go both sides of it is a huge example of how good he is, right? To make the goal, make the ball go right to left, your hand has to be in such a position, right? It has to be on the outside of it. And to do that way over here on your on your arm side is difficult. That's why these backdoor like when somebody backdoors somebody like oh my god that was really cool. it's hard to do. Yeah, 
That was going to be my um, question is, is how hard is that? Cause that seems like the hardest pitch to hit. Yeah. It's, well, it's hard to hit and it's hard to throw and yeah. he can do it with some relative ease. And, you know, he, he, it's the same thing with Kirsch. He commands it really, really, really well. And if you look at this one, this one's like up and away. So you're trying to throw a pitch that goes down and to the left and he's throwing it up into the right <laughs> and still making, it, still making it move. Like visually you can see it move. I think the other misconception here is when a lot of people watch TV, watch these games on TV, like these pitches move more than they look like. Yeah. To your Especially eyes. Especially with that Arlington angle. Yeah. Uh, that, like you're this get ball's, there. that ball's moving like eight, 10, 12 inches. And it looks like it's just baby cutting in there. It's not. And it's up and it's away and it, he cuts it right over there. It's pretty wild. But that's the thing that, yeah, real quick, that's the thing that kind of gets me about certain camera feeds, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you're talking about, you know, how, how it looks like it's a baby cut. It's offset a little bit. We see a lot of them yeah. offset to the, to the left field side of second base. Yeah. But if you get the opportunity, like anybody listening, whether it's a minor league game or a big league game, to sit directly behind home plate, you see these things moving so much more yeah. horizontally than what it looks like. Yeah. But same thing as Kirsch where it's command driven. It's a really, really clean four seam fastball that he really commands to a certain area. And then he throws the slider off of it all the time. And both those guys have really, really good third offerings, right? I think with DeGrom, it's more of his changeup, And with Kirsch, it's more of the curveball. Right. But both of them are predominantly fastball slider because they command them both so well. And one of the first things Clayton actually ever told me about like having a good fastball curveball slider, whatever, is that it's, it's not about how good it can be. It's how good it is all the time. Like 80% of your throws, your best ones and your worst ones, take those out. How good are the 80%? And both these guys are kind of, elite elite in that they really don't throw many bad ones and even their average ones are really really good and they're really consistent yeah two What's totally the, different yeah oh i was just gonna say you know outside of the obvious you know when it comes to the slider what's the hardest part about being so consistent with it is it the release point is it just kind of the feel to spin it like, what is that big separator between the guys that can just be so consistent with it in that 80% range versus you know, the guys that show flashes. You know, we always hear prospects flashes plus, but it's yeah. not consistently plus what's yeah. the biggest, is it repeating your delivery? Is that really what it boils no, down? To? I think the biggest thing is the difference between throwing a strike slider and a ball slider. And if I throw a slider for a ball, if I pull it down left and it's this big, like it can be really good looking. Right. Mm -hmm. But that's what I was talking about with the ground, the ability to throw it, high into the right and have it actually have shape yeah. that that's the consistency element, right? Is getting your hand to the front of the ball anywhere in the zone and consistently and not when you pull it down into the left, your hand is way over it to go over there. Yeah. A lot of people can throw plus sliders straight left. Not many people yeah. can throw them on their arm side. Yeah. So that's, I think that's the biggest thing. But yeah. so this is a different thing as well, because I really struggle with throwing the Kershaw or DeGrom kind of really hard late slider. I'm better at spinning the slider, making it more of a sideways curveball, 
which is kind of the new wave and everyone says sweeper and, and whatever. Mm. I think it's probably, it's really similar to the old school, like slurve. Yeah. But that's what, that's what Otani's doing. He can really, really spin the ball. So it's a complete, the, the fact that we call all these sliders, like they're, they're different pitches, right? But and, and how much harder is it to be consistent with it when it breaks that much though? That's the thing with the sweepers. That's interesting to me. It's like, well, when for you have me, the shorter for sliders, me it's I a lot like- easier. Really? Because I, yeah, because I, I have a tough time getting that perfect hard throw spin, but I can pretty all I can spin around it pretty regularly, right? Gotcha. So it's kind of has to do with your delivery and your arm action and your arm path and all of these different things that you have to figure out which one works for you. But on this Otani clip, right? One's a ball, one's a strike. They seemingly come out of the same area and they seemingly have pretty similar shape but he's able to maintain the shape of it as a strike and then as a ball. That's yeah. what makes these things really good is because a lot of, you know, we talk about when you're growing up, like, Oh, I just want to throw like the get me over anything in the major leagues. Like get me over doesn't work very much. Right. Get me overs are homers. <laughs> so the, the fact that he can throw a strike slider and you see Guriel here kind of take a little buckle to get that ball to move tight enough that high in the zone is difficult. Yeah. So on the on the slider point in the late breaking slider, kind of going back to, to mm-hmm. Kershaw and, and some of the other guys, because this is just just downright nasty. With Kershaw to Grom, how much how much and you talked about it a little bit before we recorded, how much of it is the the fastball being in the back of the hitter's mind that's allowing the, the slider to play up? Because I look at a guy like Spencer Strider. His slider, if you in a vacuum, doesn't have all of the characteristics shape wise that would fit mm-hmm. like the most dominant sliders in the game. But opponents hit a buck 33 against it and whiff a ton because right. of how good the fastball is. How much of that is 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 part of it as well? Like, are some of the best sliders in the game really just good because of the fastballs? I think most of them. I think most of yeah. the you're not going to find a ton of guys. You'll find some relievers. Brad Hand is probably the guy that I think of. First off, this big slider that is really his main thing. But starting pitchers, you're not going to see many guys throw slider a lot, or you know, yeah. right. as their primary pitch, right? I think Sale might be one that you would think of, but um, he's got a really good fastball. Like he just does. It's hard to see. It's hard. It's out of a weird angle. Like starting pitching, you're not going to have guys aren't going to have great sliders unless they have a pretty good fastball. I don't think. Yeah, and pretty much every guy we're talking about right now has a great fastball, and this guy Mm -hmm. is no exception. He's off to a rough start this year, but I think everybody that listens to this show knows how freaking nasty Dylan Cease is. What makes his slider so unique? Because he also throws one of those, you know, big knuckle curveballs. Yeah, so this is kind of the combo one, right? You can see the shape of it is more the shape of Kirsch or DeGrom's where it's kind of got that downer, but it's spun right? He's spinning this ball to make it do that instead of like pulling it down there. Uh, so I, I think these are kind of the three classifications of sliders. We've, we've seen like the pull for really, really hard firm one. We've seen like the big spinning one from Otani. And then I think Cease is kind of the in-between where it's downer and spun. It's just, they're just hard to hit. Uh, I think Verlander would be the only the guy, first guy I think of that throws a similar one to this where it's really spun. 
but hit, yeah. even Verlander's is a little bit more of that hard pulled one. Yeah. But I mean, this is 85. He threw, he threw this pitch so much last year when he was what? Sec- he was, did he win the Cy Young or he was second in the Cy Young? Runner like up, second in Cy Young. Yeah. I mean, he threw that a ton. We faced him and it was like 50% <laughs> slider. It was just hard to hit. So that one, like you said, is kind of like the in-betweener. Yeah. What's like the – and I guess it kind of depends on the rest of your arsenal, but but where do you want to be with the slider uh, in terms of like – I guess if you're a, a high a high spin fastball guy, you know, mm-hmm. ton of carry. What what kind of slider do you think is the best working off of that, or does it kind of depend on on the pitcher? Yeah, I think um, in a prototype world, right, it's like the exact opposite yeah. of your fastball. So if your fastball is jumpy with some run, you want a little bit of left to it. If it's straight up, you want it straight down. That kind of thing. Um, you know, like I'm the opposite of that, where I have a pretty straight fastball that's kind of a jumpier one. And I want a straight left slider. Gotcha. But all I all I talk to our pitching coaches all the time about is how can I get a slider to go straight down? That's hard. Yeah. Like that's what I want. And my my throw and my hand haven't been able to I haven't been able to figure out a way to do it. And that's something that I'm kind of working on. But the, you also have to find the one that you can do a lot. And you can do if you throw ten of them, nine of them are good, right? So it's not always about, you know, we, you look at all these guys in the major leagues like Nobody has the exact same arsenal. Nobody has the same throw, the same delivery. And, and I think a lot of what you're able to do is dictated on all that. This isn't a 101 course. This is like 401, yeah, 304, or whatever class. it is. So this is uh, this is pitching 401 with Walker Bueller. You're the man. We've got four seamers and sliders checked off. Uh, new pitch next week, Ian? Yeah, we're going to go cutter. Cutter. All right. Wow. I thought we were going to go knuckleball. There's a difference. Between cut fastballs and cutters, I want everybody to figure that out. Okay. All right. Walker Bueller, you're the man. We'll talk to you next week. Perfect. See you. All right. We just got done with Walker. Now Texas Ranger. We're going to talk about the Rangers and then Yuri Perez here. Um, Yuri went, what, five shutout innings, two hits, three walk or uh, three Ks, four walks. But the Texas Rangers took three or took two of three. As you can tell, this bourbon's getting to me right now. Yeah, I, was I don't know what's going thing. on. <laughs> I was going to say, like, preface, I'll preface this outro here. Like, I didn't eat anything all day. I chugged <laughs> a coffee before the episode because I'm not feeling well and I was a little tired. And then we did the bourbon tasting. And uh, I'm feeling it, dude. This has got to be the, the the closest to intoxicated I've ever been for an episode of anything because i'm not recording an episode of anything uh with any like legitimate like intoxication being there i'm definitely feeling it a little bit so let's talk about yuri perez (laughs) and the texas rangers which i was pumped that walker brought them up because we had planned that prior like we we didn't not in terms of like asking walker about it i that question came in my mind as we were going but you and i talked about it before we recorded we're like we're going to talk Rangers on the outro because what they're doing is amazing. Yeah. And then I asked Walker, you know, what teams are standing out to you? And he talks about the Rangers. I loved that because that kind of teases us up perfectly here. You cannot deny the Rangers right now. Um, you just can't. The way they are playing, it it's, seems like a sustainable level of success too. Not just because they have one of the greatest, you know, in terms of talent pitchers of all time, not pitching right now, because I'm not banking on DeGrom coming back. I'm not, I'm just not, I'm banking on them getting more than zero from him, but anything you get from DeGrom is probably a bonus. It shouldn't be viewed that way from a Ranger standpoint, but I think from us, 
that's and most people that are just general baseball fans or covering baseball, they're probably looking at it like whatever you get from DeGrom's a bonus. And it's unfortunate that that's the case, but it is. But yeah. they're doing it without him. And I think even if DeGrom does not come back, which he will at some point, we'll just see how long it, it lasts. This team's for real with the way you've already throwing with the way all these guys are throwing in this rotation and they've got other arms coming up. Like they've got other arms that could contribute. It's hard to not be sold on what they're doing. Yeah. So the, the way I look at the Texas Rangers here, there are seven teams in major league baseball scoring five or more runs per game. Arizona is right at five runs scored per game, which is the seventh best clip in baseball. Third most is the LA Dodgers at 5.43. So there are two teams over five and a half. Tampa is right at six runs per game. And the Texas Rangers are at 6.4 runs per game. They're almost half a run better than the second best, who is half a run better than the third best. There's a clear cut separation here between the best, the second best, and the rest, which is just so fascinating to me because everybody wants to talk about the Tampa Bay Rays. And I understand. And like, honestly, all I want to talk about is the Tampa Bay Rays. This is a tiny market that is performing out of their freaking mind. We just brought it up with Walker, like what, seven guys OPS yeah. 200 points above their career average coming into this year. But the thing that jumps out to me about Texas is there are guys that have put together flashes of good offensive seasons that are having just full-blown good offensive seasons right now. That Adolis, was yeah. Oh, no, so go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, Adolis Garcia, I think, is the perfect example of what's happening with the Texas Rangers. Yep. That guy we knew, good bat, turned into a great bat. That's the thing. I was going to say, you look, and, and I don't think the Rays, like, I don't think there's anybody on the Rays where I'm going to say, like, oh, that's a sham. That's not sustainable. I do think that some of those guys are going to let off a little bit of steam. But you look at the Texas Rangers, kind of one through nine right now, and then including the bench. Is there anybody that you look at and you say, no way he sustains that? The only guy, maybe the only guy, is Leody Tavares. Yep. Like 822 OPS right now. He's 316, 378, 444. I don't know if, if that lasts. But remember, this was a longtime top prospect who gives you a ton of value in the outfield regardless and is still 24 years old somehow. Talk about prospect fatigue. But I look one through nine, and like I'll just fly through it really quickly. Jonah Heim, he's come down to earth a little bit already, so you can't really knock that. 785 OPS. I think he can hover around there. Nathaniel Lowe, 805 OPS. I think he could be better than that. Marcus Semyon, 858. I think he sustains that. Ezekiel yeah. Duran, 855, maybe lets out a little bit of steam, but I've always loved Duran. Josh Young, 836, kind of expect that at his best, and he's kind of growing into what we thought he could be. Robbie Grossman, 691, whatever. whatever. Um, Adolis Garcia, 830 OPS, that's pretty believable, honestly. Leody, 822, that's the one question. Brad Miller, 637, and then you look at Corey Seager, 991, like, yeah, he might come to earth a little bit, but he's Corey freaking Seager. So, okay, I'll settle at 875, whatever it is. Right. And the, the only other one that jumps to me is Travis Jankowski, who's hitting 310 with a 790. Like, I don't think Jankowski is a 790 guy, but he could be yeah, a that's 725 games. guy. Yeah, 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 that's exactly. That's fine. But they also don't have Mitch Garver, who's been hurt. Garver will come back and be a bat that they insert into the lineup. And they have a ton of trade capital, which is what I love about this team, too. I, I've already been like, pimping out Jorge Soler because I'm like this guy's going to opt out of his contract like how insane has Soler been 17 home runs he's got a player option I promise he opts out of it if the Marlins aren't looking good you imagine like that's a guy that the Rangers could trade for in two seconds and not blink they've got 
They've got Justin Foscue, who's raking in the upper minors already, who they could trade and not even blink. They, they have so many other guys that they can move, and they have a ton of trade capital. Their system is fantastic. Their pitching has been good. But I don't think this offense is going to slow down. I think by the time that this season is over, this might be one of the best offenses in baseball as it is you know, already so far this year. I'm all, I'm all the way in on the Rangers. I think the only question is, does the pitching sustain? I, I, like, would you agree with that? Like, is it more of a question of the pitching maintaining this than the hitting maintaining this? So, I don't know. You look at these offensive numbers, and obviously the immediate question is, can the offense remain the best offense in baseball? So I think that the question resides around the offense in that case, because they're the best, right? Are they going to regress to top seven, like in the five to 10 range? Because that's a different story now. But yeah, man, I, I think I, asking about Nathan Uvalde, asking about John Gray being a sub three ERA guy. That's the thing. Like everybody wanted this. Obviously, we, we've joked about Dane Dunning a little bit, who's got a one six seven. But I mean, yeah, I guess the question is around pitching. I, that That's that's the thing for me is how how long is this going to last pitching wise? You know, Gray's got a four, six, fifth. Mm-hmm. If all these evolved, like he's, he's, he's here. If he's healthy, he's, he's a dude. Yeah. Um, all the underlying stats look fantastic. The stuff is all the way back. As Walker said, like, this is the poster boy of the, the double TJ. Like this guy's back and, and, and shoving um, Perez, I think could even be better. You know, I, I think he'll be fine. Even though the underlying, he's always outperforming the underlying. I'm more concerned about the pitching. So, but the thing is, they have all this trade capital. They could go get an arm. I think Nathaniel Lowe is very fair to say that they are the team to beat. At the end of the day, of course, it's the Astros and everybody's mind and Vegas's mind and uh, you know whoever you ask. But the Rangers have every right to say we are the team to beat right now. Like yeah. in terms of you know having that confidence in yourself, you're 33 and 18. They've got every right to say that. And I told you pretty much at the beginning of this podcast. I'm in on what Chris Young is selling. Yeah. And a big part of that was, you know, conversation I had with Jack Leiter and Jack Leiter telling me about, you know, how Chris Young came and, you know, kind of gave him the whole lowdown of what the plan was for the organization. And that was a, a big selling point for him on wanting to be a Texas Ranger and hearing that and then seeing what they were doing and pretty much backing up every single thing that he told Jack, like that was where it was like, okay, I'm in on this. They're, they're backing up they're, you know, they're walking the walk now too. And I think you got to be really excited about what Chris Young's building here. It's not just spending the money. It's also the organizational depth. It's good drafting. It's good development. It's good moves left and right. This is a good organization now. And this isn't the Texas Rangers of before. No, this is badass motherfucker energy from the Texas Rangers. And, and I think that Nathan Uvalde has always kind of embodied that energy over the course of his career and he's showing it right now. And this offense, you know it as well as anybody, man, talking to so many hitters. Offense is such a confidence-driven thing. And if they're confident, if they're if they're walking this walk, like, dude, this can sustain for a good bet. Um, Yuri Perez had a five-shutout inning performance, two hits, three Ks, four walks against the LA Angels. He's got punch-out of Mike Trout and Shohei Otani on his book. What'd you make of Yuri? Because obviously this guy was sitting 99. He grabbed a couple of hundos in the first inning. Um, I mean, just watching the clips that I got to watch on Sunday afternoon, I'm excited for you. Yeah. You know, it, it's cool because obviously the, the Marlins, for the Marlins to be 
a contender. And by contender, I mean just play meaningful games in September. They got to hit more. But at the end of the day, if your strength becomes even stronger, you can ride that. And and the Marlins rotation was was a little concerning, you know, when you had Trevor Rogers go down and then you had Johnny Cueto go down and you're like, okay, now your strength is like average and we know that their weakness is weak. This might not be good. Yuri Perez being this, even this, what we which which is not even near the final product of him, but him being able to be solid at the big league level and, and show flashes of much more than that, I think improves the Marlins outlook so much. Yeah. Just makes makes things look so much better. Uh and obviously they, they're gonna need to hit more. But when you have another arm here that's gonna give you flashes of of frontline stuff and probably settle in to being a middle of the rotation arm. Now this rotation is just insane. And Trevor Rogers is going to be back. And we'll see if Cueto comes back. He's already on the mend. He's getting that ankle right. Like, that's your sixth starter. Braxton Garrett's been spectacular. Like, this is what I think Marlins fans were hoping to see with the rotation. But specifically to Yuri Perez, he reminds me a lot of, and I, and I think everybody sees this, but this outing in particular reminds me so much of, of when Sandy first started to make that transition into a frontline dude like when when sandy first came up it was it was rough yuri's kind of skipped that phase and i think that's the really cool part and it shows how good of a prospect yuri is because yuri's light years ahead of where sandy was at at 20 years old and we're seeing that and what we're seeing now i think is that like phase two of sandy which was the stuff's insane the command is good it's 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 a little bit more control over command but he's it's good and we're waiting on the strikeouts to, to get there. You see flashes of it, but we're kind of waiting on on the command to get to the point where you can sequence, spot all of your pitches, and get the strikeouts at the level you, you want to see. That said, with the stuff and now good enough control, getting outs and giving you five quality innings, six quality innings. That's what I'm seeing from Yuri is he's still – not even close to where he's going to be, which I think is somewhere along the lines of Sandy, mm-hmm. but he's already so far ahead from where Sandy was when he first came up. And the fact that Yuri's able to get outs like this is so impressive to me. And, and I thought it was spectacular what we saw from him today as we're recording this. Yeah. If you go line score watching, um, you know, you could say, oh, this was a tightrope act with four walks in five innings. I think the thing that people don't really understand with guys this talented and, you know, I I don't say that in a way that should be demeaning to the old guard of baseball fan. I'm saying this point blank. We have some of the best starting pitching talents the world has ever seen in the game right now. Like nobody was cut like Painter and Yuri Perez 10 years ago. These guys popped out of no, these guys are artificially created in a lab. And they say that they have like families and they were born and had a childhood and all that. I just immediately assumed that they were like 17 years old and top prospects already. But Yuri Perez, he is like as gifted as anybody that we've seen, I don't know, in a decade. Like I couldn't even give you the precedent here. Like he's got such a unique archetype. Um, So with Yuri, like, the thing is, he is so unhittable at 20 years old that he can work around four walks in five innings, which and, is unique. And, and here's the way he does it. And and by the way, Sandy has been a, a big mentor to him already. Yeah. Patrick said, you talk about the line score, and there's so much more than to it than the line score. Patrick Sandoval 
on the other side for the Angels. By the way, the Marlins won this game 2-0. Yeah. Six innings, eight hits, two runs, two walks, two Ks. Yuri goes five innings, two hits, no runs, four walks, three Ks. Hard hit baseballs against Patrick Sandoval. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Hard hit baseballs against Gary Perez. Three. This guy, I think, you know, three and two count. He's going to make a pitcher's pitch. If Mike Trout or Shohei Otani lays off of it, they lay off of it. He, he has so much confidence in himself already to get that ground ball next at bat or to get that out next at bat. So he's not afraid to put guys on because he knows it. He's not going to get squared up that much. And, and that's the thing that really stands out to me is, you know, he made Trout look uncomfortable. He made Otani look uncomfortable. Punch again, them both three, out. three hard hit baseballs the whole game. That's yeah. it. So that's, that's why I'm really sold on what we're seeing. Is he going to have some starts here and there where he might struggle? Sure. He's 20 years old. And, you know, sometimes the command is not perfect. But to me, this is this is one of the most special talents, like you said, that we've seen kind of come up and, and just instantly take them out at 20 years old. And I, I'm excited to see more and more because, again, like this is a guy that's still learning. But the fact that he's able to get outs like this without perfectly being the swing and miss guy that he will soon be is really impressive. And he still had 12 swings and misses today. Like that's still really solid. The strikeouts will come. Uh, but I, I think this is a really impressive thing. Like Sandoval went one more inning, four swings and misses today. Yuri had 12. Um, yeah. He's going to get there. Also hit a hundred four times, maybe five times today. Damn, and man. It's, it's, it's fun to watch. Damn, man. All right. Just baseball show presented by bet MGM. Uh, Use every link we've got in the link tree and in the show notes. Get your merch. We've got some exciting merch stuff hiding, uh, like some Easter eggs on the site. So if you can find them, like go buy them. We've got some yeah. sweet new stuff. Um, so everybody go capitalize on that. Uh, give us five-star reviews, all that good jazz that Peter usually talks about. And Peter and I will talk to you tomorrow.